Thank you. Thank you, Bethel community. It is it's so good to be with you all. I am so um, I'm appreciative of the ways that you as a community have welcomed others and ground um, one another through the ways that you share with one another, even in this space. So thank you for that. Thank you, Pastor Erna, and thank you, Pastor Michael, for, for having me with you all. Um, so we're in August, and August is kind of a crazy month. I see even in our prayer requests and even as we gathered in the beginning, the thunderstorms, which um, I had to check in with, uh, with Steph and realize this is not normal for the Bay Area. Um, in Southern California, where I am, we're over 100 degrees right now, so it's a bit different. But August is kind of this, this strange month in some sense. It's a month that often serves as this very natural marker of new rhythms, right? August reminds us that summer is ending soon. Our social media feeds begin filling with children holding up signs about their first days of school, while others also begin the freeing and very terrifying journey of becoming empty nesters. Our gardens produce the last bits of fruit and they prepare for fall harvest. And so as fall catches us kind of by surprise as we roll in the midst of August, we often move from more flexible schedules to reestablishing rhythms of work. And this year, it's kind of the same as every year, but it's also drastically different. I mean, completely different. We're 79 days away from election day. And I don't know about you, but for me, the news gives us more opportunities for panic every single day. I think we shared some of that um, in our prayers. We're entering into new rhythms of work. And we also have no idea when spring ended and when summer began. Just kind of rolled together this year. Sending our children back to school means figuring out how to help them stay engaged online. And also figuring out lunchtime at home. And all of our realities are felt in really new and different ways this year. I mean, I doubt any of us thought that the pandemic would drag on this long. And also still, we have no idea of where the end will be. There's no end in sight. I was talking to someone, a friend earlier this week, um, and he talked about the exhaustion of kind of not knowing how long we'll be in this situation. So we're sort of still holding our breaths. And even when we're able to move from this situation, what will be our new normal? Are we even able to think of what will be next? I mean, how do you settle into new rhythms of life when reality is so uncertain and so unpredictable? How do we establish a sense of home in a season of disruption and transition? And how do we breathe when rest seems like a luxury that we can't afford? This is the reality of God's people in Isaiah 56. This chapter actually marks a new season for God's people. Up until this chapter, up until this point, Isaiah talks about this return from exile for God's people. Um, Isaiah basically says, you know, just hold on a little while longer until you can finally return to Jerusalem. And this promise kept them going up until this point. Up until this point where Cyrus gave this edict, which allowed Jews to return to Jerusalem. And so the passage we read today and that we're in today offer us the very first words written in Isaiah to the people after they returned to Jerusalem. The people have returned to what once was their home, but maybe doesn't quite feel like home. I wonder if it's the same sentiment that I see in my immigrant mother's eyes when she goes back to Hong Kong. Um, So I'm second generation, my mom immigrated from Hong Kong here, and 
And when she goes back, there's the sense of comfort and relief, relief for her, but it also doesn't quite feel like home for her anymore. The streets are still the same, they're in the same place, but the stores and the businesses have completely changed. There's a comfort in eating food that kind of brings nostalgia, the smells, the taste, but there's also all these new trends in the food and the businesses and all the life around her that she's never really known. When she gathers with her old friends, their lives seem worlds apart even though they came from the same roots. The rhythms of life are the same yet vastly different from what she knew. There are moments of nostalgia, but people and society have changed in the decades that have passed for her. So where is home when your heart is split in so many places? So as the Jews returned to Jerusalem, they returned with a sense of disorientation to a land that they used to call home. They come to a land with no physical identity markers for them as God's people, right? They have Torah, and that they also have themselves, and that's kind of it. Um, Isaiah talked about how to worship Yahweh when they were in exile, but their return isn't really as glorious as they thought it would be, or they thought it was promised to be. The temple is still destroyed, and when they try to rebuild it, lack of money and political uncertainty stop any progress towards completion. See, their return to Jerusalem isn't glamorous, and it's not triumphant. And in many ways, exile feels maybe more like home than Jerusalem does for them. So these are the first words to God's people after they return. Act justly and do what is righteous, because my salvation is coming soon, and my righteousness or my justice will be revealed. Happy or blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not making it impure, and avoids doing any evil. This is the word to a people who are trying to figure out how to rebuild the city and practice faith in Yahweh in this strange new season of life. What worked before doesn't work anymore, and it's a season of disorientation, but it's also the season of reimagining how life could be. So in these very first words to a very disoriented people, they're reminded of a foundational practice as God's people, the gift of Sabbath. They're gifted with a rhythm of life that's meant to ground them and also distinguishes them as God's people no matter where they lived and no matter what season they were in. Right? So interwoven throughout this passage is this resounding reminder that the people who follow Yahweh are a people who keep the Sabbath. See, Sabbath wasn't just this day of rest. Sabbath was a day that reminded God's people of who they're meant to be. Right? Sabbath invited God's people to remember that God is the creator of this world in Genesis. Right? It's invited to Sabbath because God created the world and rested. In Exodus, Sabbath reminds an enslaved people that their God is the deliverer, is their deliverer. In Amos, Sabbath reminds the people of God that God is provider, so they can resist the mentality to make more profit, even if there's no guarantee of their sustenance. So here in Isaiah, what we see is as a people who are looking to understand their lives now, after the exile, after the return, they're commanded to keep the Sabbath as a practice of justice and of righteousness. See, in this season of disorientation and confusion, Sabbath rhythms are this invitation to remember that Yahweh is a God of hospitality. 
the God who's present and active in every season, including this season, where they don't really know up from down. It pushes back against the natural ways of this world. That's Sabbath. Sabbath in every season is this practice and rhythm of resistance. And so through this invitation to Sabbath, God invites the people into this familiar rhythm and also into this new way of life. I mean, specifically, God offers Sabbath in Isaiah here as a way to invite immigrants and eunuchs into life as a part of God's people. See, back in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 23, it actually made it very clear that eunuchs and immigrants weren't included wholly as a part of God's people. But here, as new rhythms are established, Isaiah voices the protests of immigrants and eunuchs. says, don't let the immigrant who has joined what the Lord say, the Lord will exclude me from the people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm just a dry tree. See, after this lament, the eunuchs who won't have offspring are promised fullness as a part of God's people in verse 5. Not only are they invited into covenant with God in this new season, but they're, almost, they're also promised life and legacy as a part of God's people. Just because they won't have children doesn't mean that they'll be forgotten. And for the immigrants who were previously excluded from worshiping Yahweh, they're welcomed as this integral part of God's people in verse 7. They will lead the way with their worship and offerings as the people of God. So Sabbath in this new season of life means gathering the outcasts and gathering the vulnerable. Even if God's people are disoriented and lost, not knowing what their future holds, they're commanded to welcome those who are vulnerable into their rhythms of life. And not only are they welcomed as a part of God's people, but they're dignified. Right? Eunuchs who can't have children are welcomed into the community of God that will sustain them and that will walk with them and will journey with them. Immigrants who are at the mercy of the government are given a place of refuge and strength. See, Sabbath is a rhythm of resistance for God's people as they are also challenged to welcome the outcasts of society. Rather than fighting for their own sense of security, God's people are invited to welcome others. Instead of just figuring out how to return to their lives as it once was, God's people are invited into new rhythms of hospitality and of wholeness. But I think what's radical about this passage isn't just the reversal of Deuteronomy 23 as a part of Sabbath rhythms. It's also the invitation of the outcasts into Sabbath resistance. See, while the Jews are invited into radical inclusion and radical welcome as as Sabbath, eunuchs and immigrants are invited to see themselves fully and see themselves participate fully as God's people. They're invited to participate in a legacy that's going to last beyond their lifetimes and to see their offerings as fully acceptable. See, they're not just eunuchs and immigrants who are just receiving what is handed to them, but they're to see themselves as fully dignified participants of God's covenant. So to Sabbath is to rest and remember that Yahweh gathers them and invites them home. To Sabbath is to know that they're fully welcomed, they're welcomed fully into God's community, even if the world doesn't welcome them. That's Sabbath. So this invitation to Sabbath is an invitation to resistance. It's an invitation to remember that the God that we worship challenges all the patterns of our society in many ways. When the world chooses workaholism, God invites us to rest. Then when the world is scarce, God invites us 
to trust in the promise of sustenance and to practice generosity. When the world chooses exclusion, God chooses hospitality. And when the world chooses self-protection, God invites us into grief and into hope. See, Sabbath is this invitation to remember that God is the one who gives life. God is the one who gives wholeness. So choosing God is resisting the belief that our future is in our hands, because it's not. So to remember God is to recognize that we're humans. We're humans with limitations and vulnerabilities. We're humans who are impatient and prone to follow the narratives of our society. And I have to admit, when I sat with this passage this week, I thought, I kind of, I really struggled with this invitation to Sabbath in the midst of uncertainty. It's not that I don't like rest, but there's this nagging sense that even if I choose into Sabbath, it doesn't really, like, it doesn't resolve the chaotic mess that we're in as a society, right? Even if we choose Sabbath, keeping Sabbath doesn't get rid of the pandemic. Keeping Sabbath doesn't seem to get rid of these unjust systems that we live in. Keeping Sabbath won't bring back loved ones who have died. Right? And keeping Sabbath won't solve the reality that we need to figure out how to work and make sure our children are fed and are learning something online this fall. Right? The invitation to Sabbath, just I think sometimes for me in this week, I thought it just feels like this added sense of this already complicated and exhausting season. Yet at the very end of this passage, we're reminded that it's the Lord who gathers the outcasts. It's God who gathered and who will continue to gather. So we're invited into Sabbath because it's God who does the work, not us. We're invited into Sabbath as a way of remembering that God is God and we're not. Sabbath invites us to remember God and then also embrace our humanity. Seems simple, but I was challenged as I, I earlier this year, I reached out to a college student in Hong Kong. Um, and it was right after Hong Kong had received this announcement of the new national security law, which essentially crushes all sense of freedom, democracy, and justice, any hope of that. It, it's just obliterated in Hong Kong. And so I reached out to this, um, this friend of mine and I said, well, how can I pray for you in this season? And she responded with this and, and it's just kind of stayed with me ever since. This was her text to me. She said, at this point, I pray that we could still live like humans to embrace our fears and our sadness, to continue to love our neighbor, to show compassion and to continue to have hope. I believe that in only continuing to live like humans can we combat this evil power using fear to control us. And I thought there's an incredible amount of wisdom in her prayer requests, because I would have prayed for, oh, get rid of the people in charge who are making crazy decisions, you know, something like that. But her prayer is that we would remember to be humans. That in the face of uncertainty and in the face of losing her homeland, her prayer is simply to be human. Because being human means being open to our fears, being open to our sadness in order to love and show compassion, right? Because being human is the only way to act justly and to do what is righteous. As I think about this invitation to remember God in the midst of our current season, I wonder if this invitation to Sabbath is also to remember, remember that we're human. We can't do it all. We'll write petitions, we'll pray, we're juggling all these things, but we're, we're just human. And that maybe for some of us, it means being okay with our unfinished to-do list. 
maybe for parents, it's this acceptance that there's no perfect parenting in this season or in any other season. For some of us, it's simply making space to acknowledge that things are not okay, that there's a lot to grieve and there's too much to hold and we can handle. We find ourselves in this incredibly disorienting and confusing season, just as God's people in Isaiah 56. It's difficult to imagine sustainable rhythms as our bodies hold this level of anxiety and uncertainty in this time. We don't know where we're headed, and it's hard to predict where our lives will be in the coming months. So as we embrace our humanity, may we remember that God is the primary actor of justice and righteousness. We're privileged to participate with God in, this, in God's work in this world, but God is the one who gathers us with hospitality and generosity. My friends, my siblings, how have you lost sight of who God is and also maybe who you are in the midst of this pandemic? How might God be inviting you into Sabbath resistance in this season? What do you need to remember about God, particularly in this season? Even in our weariness, may we receive the hospitality and generosity of God. In our confusion and our disorientation, may the gift of Sabbath remind us of God's justice and righteousness. And as we embrace our humanity, may the Spirit breathe new life in us. Amen.